Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the Whitetail Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ben Kuzma and Ed Willis, where we're going to talk about all things Canucks. Uh, just a reminder, thank you to our friends at Key West Ford, keywestford.com, BC's best selection of Ford Mustangs, if you're interested in that. So we thank them. We also thank Ben and Ed for being here, where we're going to talk about the Canucks' current plight and what they have in front of them. Um, gentlemen, we're, we, we always, I, I know that this is not, this is not a daily podcast, so we're not just going to get wound up in what happened last night, but the team did lose to the Bruins. But overall, pretty successful road trip, I think you have to say, and the Bruins are a pretty good team. Yeah, I, I think we can kind of do a summation here of, uh, you know, stubbing your toe in a building that the team usually shows up and plays well in. I remember going into Boston last year and the Canucks won a crazy game, eight to five. I remember Bo Horvat having four points. I remember Louis Erickson actually scoring. I remember Ben Hutton scoring. I remember Eric Branson scoring. I think what surprised Come on. me. I know. Fake I news. know. <laughs> I know. Fake news. But I think what surprised me last night, guys, is the fact that they went in there and they didn't, uh, uh, there were, there was no presence. I, I counted maybe five or six bona fide scoring chances. Uh, the power play is a mess. Uh, of course, uh, weird things happen in Boston. There was the debatable offside and of course, Elias Pettersson getting rubbed out on an unpenalized hit. Um, and, you know, it's kind of gone back to some stuff I've been writing lately about do the Canucks have enough bite or enough stiffness with these games going down the stretch in lieu of the trade deadline coming up on the 24th and the fact that we're still waiting on Michael Furland. So, but having said all that, uh, again, there's a resiliency here with this group that I think I admire that when they get punched in the face, they, they basically pick themselves off the canvas, and I think they have a great chance of going into Minnesota and making this a trip to remember. Yeah, I, I was more impressed by the reaction after the game than the reaction during the game. I thought J.T. Miller's quote was fantastic yeah. about, you know, uh, yeah, they're a good team, but they're nothing special. We're a good team. We should, you know, we should come into this building with a little swagger. Yeah. So sorry, I I didn't hear um, we shouldn't be losing to a team like that. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> the Bruins aren't making t-shirts then is what you're saying. We should show up against a team like that. That would yeah. be a great, that would be a great marketing sure. campaign. And, and then I, I like Green standing up for his player, but I would have liked to have seen a reaction on the ice. Nothing crazy, but you've got to at least, you know, buzz the guy's, uh, uh, uh tower, um, and, and let him know, yeah, we saw that and, and, and we don't like it. Uh, for me, that Boston game's fine. Treat it as a one-off, but there's just a lot of these underlying factors. We've kind of been concerned about the Canucks all season. 
they all they all came to light and and then they were all there on display in 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 this one game and and it's the power play it's Brock Besser's uh lack of presence it, it it's it, it's the pushback that's a game for me that cries out for Jake Vertanen to make his presence yeah. felt and I I barely noticed him same with Roussel for that matter uh, and, and again you don't have to act crazy but you have to show up and you have to make your presence felt and it shouldn't you shouldn't be leaving it to Jay Beagle your fourth line center to, to to deliver that message so so again yeah yeah nobody would have thought they'd be in first place at this point full credit to them they win in Minnesota they're three one and one on this road trip highly successful trip but there's still that kind of undercurrent with this Canucks that makes you prohibits you from going all in with them and you know what they say you never critique a win because winning solves everything the nice thing about a loss like that it exposes the ugly things and you know getting back to that Pedersen hit at the very least it's interference it's probably a boarding call I mean when you look back at the hit the puck's gone for almost three seconds and at the, you know but it's Boston I mean it's Jeremy Jacobs it's it's weird Stuff happens in Boston. So, uh, again, I think the great thing there is some self-examination. And we can get into all the things you touched on, Ed. There are, there are some individuals here. There are some concerns about individual play, especially if it's Brock Besser. And does Roussel really have anything in the tank after that knee surgery? Uh, a great night for the Canucks to really, I mean, that's a game you should get jacked up for. There shouldn't be a problem of, oh, I'm going to tip, tip my toe into the water and see what the temperature is. It's always boiling. In Boston, ben, and they didn't sorry, show up. Sorry, like I, I, I do listen to ten forty, and I can tell you they do indeed critique the wins. Um, <laughs> and I did have all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I, did, yeah. I did have PSD, uh, PTSD <laughs> flashbacks with us talking about Boston and lack of pushback. <laughs> no, like yeah. are, we're not going to see Steve Pinizzato again, are we? Like this endless oh. parade of free agents to, to provide that power yeah. forward with some toughness. But Ed, Ben actually raised this on the podcast last week. How do you think the team is constructed? Do they? Yes, they they may be need, needed a bit more pushback last night, and we saw this last year, and when Patterson was taken out in Montreal and a couple of other places, um, and the fan base can be pretty critical of it. Do they have the guys who can do that, and they just need to actually do it, or do they need to look for something at the trade deadline? Considering I don't think you can count on Furlan to do anything with his injury. Yeah, history. yeah, no, I think the die is cast for the for this team. I, I I just don't see that player unless they go after one of the big names. And I'm sorry, I don't see them coming out of this with Chris Kreider, Tyler Toffoli. Uh, I I would prefer them, and I think we've talked about this uh, a lot. I'd prefer them to to, to bring up Rafferty and Cole Lind from Utica and see what they've got there. I think that's going to be their big moves at the trade deadline. Uh, look, they're not an overly physical team. I think everybody knows that. But there's this kind of, you know, when they're going well, they're a really strong two-way game. And to me, their game is best epitomized by, by JT Miller's game. It's got a high degree of skill to it, but it's also got, you know, some grit and it's a 200 foot game. And, and I think when they're at their best, that's, that's, that's the game they play. Um, yeah, you'd like to see a little more, a little more rigidity to it. Uh, but I, I don't think they're that. And I, I just think with the players they got, maybe they expected Roussel to provide that. We're still waiting for Vertanen to provide that on a nightly basis. But I, I, I don't think they're going to get there. I, I think what you see is what you get with this team. Now, I will let people know that we're, we, after this, we'll be recording a Sedin special that will cover a lot of the Sedin and the anniversary issues that will come out uh, over the weekend. But on that point, it takes me back once again to 2011 when the idea was, if you're going to push the Sedins around, we're going to punish you on the power play. We don't need to have a, a toughness on the ice. 
Um, we have talked all season about this team's success being absolutely shut down goaltending and a power play that will punish you. Why is the power play all of a sudden gone cold? Well, I think it's plotting and I think it's predictable. When your second unit is creating more chances than your first, I, I'm a little... Uh, I'm a little at loss here for what Newell Brown is is, is concocting in his uh, in his room there because if you're the opposition, you know where Pedersen's shooting from, you know where Besser is shooting from. They've tried to change it up. They recently had J.T. Miller on the right side, put Pedersen on the left side, maybe get Besser in that they call it the bumper spot in in the slot area because quite frankly, uh, to get Besser going, what better way than to get him in the slot area with a quick wrist shot, get some mojo going here there because he has no confidence at all. I think when you don't have rotations, when you don't have a guy like Quinn Hughes who's so good at getting pucks through that maybe he rotates down low, he's open on the back door. I, I see a very stagnant. The, well, the problem is there's so much talent on the first power play unit, they try for the perfect pass. They're trying for the perfect goal. And power plays often aren't that. They're, they're predicated on quickness and, and some basically sleight of hand, moving guys around. And, and you don't see that with PP1. And it's been a problem all year long. And I do agree with you, Paul. No matter what, what else is happening with the Canucks, uh, their trump card was supposed to be that power play. That's got tremendous potential. And now it's in a major funk because the kind of game the Canucks have to play, it's hard to play. When JT Miller said that stuff after the game in Boston, it's because the swagger comes with trying to play a game that's hard to play. I mean, Miller is accustomed to playing a hard north-south game, you know, not just doing stuff off the rush. It's hard to play that game. And that's why sometimes the Canucks stub their toes because they've got to bring that kind of game every night, especially the younger players. And quite frankly, maybe it's not in their DNA. I mean, this is virgin territory for a guy like Quinn Hughes is running everything from the back end. Pedersen's in his second year of finding out what it's like to play at this time of year. And it, it's a collective thing. But again, it doesn't matter what happens. When you can score one or two power play goals at night and get the kind of goaltending they're getting, you're going you're gonna to win more often than you're not. So now it, it's a legitimate concern. What's wrong with the power play? How are they going to fix it? And can they bring the type of game they have to bring more often than not? Because it's only going to ramp up. And that's why we keep bringing up these things about sustainability. Do they have enough bite? Do they have enough pushback in games that really matter? And the games that are going to matter the most. Um, if we look at where they're going from here, obviously they got the one game to finish out the road trip. And then they're home for two weeks. Uh six-game homestand, um, and a mixed bag of, of teams that they're playing. There's some good and, and some that you think that they'll win absolutely. Of course, Boston will close out that homestand in, in a little over two weeks. Um, again, Ed, we, I, I keep asking this question. When this team has had a bump, they've bounced back really quickly. We're, I mean, we've talked about power play. We've talked about toughness, all these things. What do you expect from this team over the next two weeks? Well, again, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. And I think so much of this season, the record has been a reflection of their schedule. And they, they've got a sweet spot coming up here with home games. And, and I, I'm going off the top of my head. It seems to me in the next 10 games, they're playing seven teams currently under the playoff bar. So this is where they make hay. This is where they really have a chance to secure a playoff spot and who knows, maybe even secure first place. I just, again, I was looking at it last night and I meant to make notes and I didn't, but it just seems to me they've got, they've got Anaheim coming up. They've got Ottawa coming up. They've got a lot of teams you'd schedule on guaranteed win nights. So, so to me, you know, let's talk again after two weeks. And I think those concerns are still going to be there. They're going to be there all season, but what they, they have enough to deal uh, with what's in front of them, especially when the schedule is in their favor. And then that home record, you know, they haven't done it with mirrors. They've been very impressive at home this season. It's really interesting, too, because when I've talked to some of the players about 
this season. That's you know, so many things have gone right. And I asked some of them, you know, when did it turn around? I mean, was there a game that you can point to? And a lot of players told me that it was the December 29th game in Calgary after the Christmas break where they won 5-2, couple power play goals, uh, kept them to 25 shots. You never felt that the, the Flames were in that one. And it's ironic that the Flames are here on Saturday night. So mm. I'm really anxious to see uh, when the Flames take a, a break from the Battle of Alberta and they come over here, uh, how are they going to play that night and how are the Canucks going to measure up? And like you said, a, a team that's been so good on home ice but again, you're you're getting into all these <laughs> almost litmus tests on on a nightly basis. Okay, a team you're trying to beat in the division, a team that's not in, can you beat them? Chicago coming here, you know, the Blackhawks are only three points out of a, a wild card spot, and I, I like some of the moves they've made, and they seem to have a certain swagger about them in the last ten or twelve games. So um, it's interesting to me, uh, like you're 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 bang on about this homestand. Uh, it, it's a measuring stick, and it starts Saturday night. I mean, you got a hockey night in Canada game. Uh, against a team that you have to beat, you got to get ahead of them in the standings. So uh, let's see if they can continue that mojo at home because it, it was pretty impressive before they went on the road. Ed, it's funny you you raised that that um, you know going back to last year, whenever we've done a podcast, you talk about them playing meaningful games later in the season. My God, I'd even forgot that a divisional game is a big thing <laughs> because when you look at it now, when you do start to look at the schedule that. Playing Calgary now is a big deal. Like it wasn't this way before, and I know the Pacific this year is actually even extra tight, so that puts another layer on top of it. But these now, like you, they have been great at home. There should be when we've got they're obviously honoring the Sedins and a couple. And we Ben said Chicago. The atmosphere in that building is just going to be, I think, polar opposite to what it was two seasons ago. Oh, it's it's unbelievable, and it really is one of the joys of covering the team this season after what we endured for the last four years, where it was just it was like a. Few funeral home in there and so many nights in March and, and it it was the atmosphere was bad enough but but it was just going in there knowing this team can't compete at this time of year like a good team would come in and you you, you knew you knew it was going to be a 3-1 game and and they would try but they just didn't have the talent to keep up with it I just wanted to pick up on something Ben mentioned when, when you look over the, the width and breadth of this Canucks season one of the things that strikes me is all the things that have gone right for this, for this team, uh, whether, whether it, it's, it, they really haven't had a serious injury to a key player. Uh, the goaltending has been superb. All those boxes that you, you set out at the start of the year, we need this to happen, we need this to happen, we need this. There's usually five or six. You can virtually tick every box for the Canucks. I also look around at what's happened with the other teams. All of a sudden, Oliver Ackman Larson, who to me is, is the key to that Coyotes team, is out. All of a sudden, Mark Giordano, and I, I don't know if there's any fresh news, but it looks like he could be out for a while. To me, he was the difference maker on that Calgary team last year. So, boy, it, it just seems like like karma is paying back the Canucks in a big way this season. Yeah. So, you mean their preseason plan didn't have we need the Flames to lose their coach in a racist abuse scandal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was on their list? <laughs> you know, to pick up on what Ed said too. I mean, I remember talking to Chris Tanner before the season started, and we were kind of surmising how many points Quinn Hughes might get. Is he capable of forty? Well. Yeah, he's he's blown by it, and I think uh, for everything we're talking about going right, to have a kid like that who is kind of your get out of jail free card to get out of your own zone, who Chris Tanev should I don't know cut him a check whatever because your first pass is to Quinn Hughes. What I really like is the fact that in the Boston game, the Canucks gave up two shorthanded breakaways. One was Quinn Hughes's fault trying to put a saucer pass, but the thing I like about him is that. 
Quinn Hughes knows when he's screwed up, and the Canucks aren't putting reins on the kid to say, listen, you're so adventurous with the puck, we love it, but we want you to really tighten up. No. They they know what they have. They know how hard the kid is on himself. So it's interesting to me how he, you can have a game like Boston where the coach doesn't even have to talk to Quinn because he's so hard on himself, and you know he'll come right back and make something happen and be even better the next game. So all the factors we've talked about – you know, a guy like Quinn Hughes, he hasn't played in this time of year. How how can how can he how can he survive? He's only gotten better. So like that is such a big factor for this club. To me, it's remarkable that we you know you're seeing the impact and the universal uh, adulation of Hughes on top of what they saw with Pedersen last year. It's it's really been a stroke of fortune for the Canucks there. Um, but I apologies, I think I steered you guys away from this before. The the third piece that people talk about there, Brock Besser. What is going on with Brock Besser? Is it something that people should be concerned about? Is it something that he can improve on? Or is we're, we've almost seen like two seasons trending down after one trending up? Ed, do you what is going on with Brock Besser? Well, Ben's done more work on the specifics there. I, I can only go by by the visual evidence, and and yeah, it's concerning. It's uh, you know the pace of his game hasn't picked up. Um, he, he that was one of the reasons why they moved Rutanen onto that first line, uh, because he can skate with those guys and he can get he can get in on the forecheck and all those things. Still clever with the puck. He can you know st- still got that. But I- I'm sorry, he still got the shot. You just don't see it like you did in those first two years when it really was a weapon. And you thought this was kind of you know this is like Brett Hull Jr. Right? This is a potential 35, 40 goal scorer down the road just with that shot and with Pedersen feeding him in the slot. I mean that that was it uh, for this team. To be fully realized, they have to have a fully realized Brock Besser. And to me, that's still that 30, 35 goal guy. Just haven't seen it since about the second month of the season. As to why, I know not. I just know he's a really important piece. Yeah, it's almost like the grassy knoll here. We're, we're all coming up with theories about what's wrong with Brock Besser. And I don't know if you, can you dial it back to that back injury? There, there's something at play here because when you, when you plant to take your shot, the velocity and the accuracy can be affected if something's bugging you. Maybe that lower back or whatever, because like like his rookie year when he got the puck. I mean, the puck was it was going in the net, and not only that, he could skate at pace. A lot of times, Besser would go around the net. Look at his options: is he going to dish it off? Is he going to wheel back into the high slot and let that thing go and catch the top corner? I don't know if that plays into it. The times I've talked to Brock Besser, he always brings up confidence, and I don't know if it's that fleeting in a player who's had so much success as a rookie that it comes and goes. People take issue with his skating. I've done pieces about his skating. He doesn't really do power skating in the summer. He trains in a a traditional manner. He thinks he can do it through repetition. So there's something at play there. They purposely put him with Pedersen and and Miller in Boston to get him going. He's on PP1. This isn't about Jake Vertanen being demoted. It's about trying to get Besser going. We have talked a lot this year about Hughes, Pedersen, Besser. Um, one guy we probably haven't talked about enough is Bo Horvat. Does he get enough credit on this team? And we, when we, when we look at the changes, people for this season, people will talk about Hughes and they'll talk about maybe even Myers and certainly Miller, but. Horvat's season so far for you guys? Well, yeah, it's a really good point. When I talked about that two-way game that JT Miller played, it's exact replica of what Horvat brings. You think of the defensive matchup he gets every night. His production has been fine. Um, I, I, I don't know where he's going to... Like, in my mind, the high end of Bo Horvat is Patrice Bergeron. 
And he could be that guy, I, I, I think. I just don't know if he'll ever score as much as Bergeron, if he'll have the same impact. But their games are so similar, uh, least to their worries, for my money. Uh, draw, usually draws the big defensive assignments, still producing at about a 70-point clip. Uh, remember when he was drafted, there was a lot of talk, ah, they're getting a third-line center with this pick. Well, he's a lot more than that. Um, like I said, least of the Canucks worries. This kind of goes back to just that Besser comment about, you know, working on things and Bo still to this day, same power skating coaches every summer in London, Ontario. And he's taken the most draws of anybody in the league. He's won the most. Um, you know, it's funny. I think nine of his first 10 goals came on the road and people kind of make fun of that. Well, well, well think about that. That's how hard your captain plays on the road when you don't get the matchups and he's scoring. Um, I've never, I just think we're, I'm of the mind. I've never really worried about Bo Horvat because of the kind of game he plays and the kind of responsibility and, and the roles he's been asked to play. You could, you could argue that, you know, the line as it's currently constructed, there's not really a bona fide sniper. I mean, Tanner Pearson will go 10 or 12 games without scoring yet. He's got, he'll have 20 points in 25 games because he, gets the total package game. And, you know, Louis Louis, they don't have that finisher. And for him to still put the production uh, with, with line mates that kind of play that north-south game, there's nothing fancy. It, it's old-style hockey. It, it's it's gritty crap. And he can do it. So uh, there has to, I know there's an admiration level in the room uh, for Bo. And, um, boy, he's delivered on, on, on every every level. Okay, and we'll finish with this. And I know this is ludicrous to be talking about this while we're in early February, but... Um, because we have talked about the Canucks playing meaningful games or divisional games and the fact that they mean more. This does take me back to the days in the in the late 2010s where you'd reach this point of the season where you were looking at matchups. Is there a good, a favorable matchup for the Canucks in the playoffs or are there match teams that, that you'd like to see them avoid? I, I think Calgary is a good matchup for them. I, they, they, I, I don't have every game they played with them off the top of my head. It just seems to me they show up and they bring out a lot of really good things in the Canucks. Yeah, Calgary's good. They got better goaltending than the Flames. Um, we haven't seen them against Arizona enough, really, and we yeah, know we've got that coming game. up at That's the end right. of the year. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure about that yet, but uh, I, I do agree with Ed. It's funny where you know it depends where they finish up if they make the playoffs. I mean, if, are they going to be lucky enough to uh, finish first and, and draw even a better or more favorable matchup? I still, wor- I still worry about. Um, Vegas. I still Vegas. I still think there's another level, but uh, there's something missing in Calgary. There's something missing with that hockey club. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm interested to see yeah. this game this weekend. But what you raised there with Vegas, that's where I think I'm not a huge fan of this format. I know they're, they've done it to try and pr- promote these rivalries, but I think you can end up as, as win your division, you can end up with a terrible matchup because as we saw last year, there were a number of teams that kind of got to the playoffs and then cranked it up from there. Antoine Roussel told me, that I said, who do you fear in the playoffs? He says, until we can go into Vegas and beat them soundly and then come back and beat them at home, uh, then we've taken the next step. That's the team he worries the most about. Interesting, yeah. I, I don't, you know, and, and I think, you know, as much as I loathe to give the NHL credit for anything, this, this play, playoff format, there's never going to be an easy match, a matchup. You're never going to get that team sneaking into the eighth spot who really doesn't deserve to be there. There's just, there's such balance and parity in the league right now. If you've made the playoffs, you, you know, you've had a highly successful season and then whatever happens from there. So I don't think, I, the Canucks just aren't in a, really in a position. They, they, they've just got to get there. 
and then figure out what happens from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, we play the old guy card here. I come back to remember what how stunned everyone was when the Sharks beat the Red Wings that one year yeah, from yeah, the eight yeah. seed. But we've seen the Kings win the Stanley Cup from the eight seed. I think once you're in, you're in, right? Yeah, so. and they're kind of hanging their head on that just just to, to summarize here because you know the Canucks will tell you, listen, we've been playing playoff hockey since October. The style of game, lots of teams are looking for that right now. We've got to tighten up. We've got to be more north-south. We've got to be more responsible. That's the only way the Canucks can win when they play that kind of game. So they do have that going for them down the stretch. That's a a veteran beat writer right there when he's taking the player cliches and using (laughs) them in his own style. Absolutely. Every game's a playoff game. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks, gents. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Key West Ford, keywestford.com, BC's largest selection of trucks. we are going to record a city in special. Keep your eyes and ears out for that. Thanks to our producer, Darren McQuana. We will talk to you next week.